If you love what we do, then please consider supporting Cryptfail on Patreon. Your support helps us grow and to create more content more often. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Cryptfail. I am Ghost, I am joined by Penguin, and today's discussion came about from ideas that were bouncing around on how to play a bard better. So what are we talking about today, Penguin? Well, we're going to be talking about how, as a GM, to get yourself and your group just role-playing more. And I think you have a unique perspective on this because you do most of the DMing in our group. Well, yeah, I think that really at the end of the day, if you want your group to be better when it comes to the actual role-play side of things, it's always going to start with the GM. Yeah, definitely. Like, he's got to lead the way. He's got to lead the way with all sorts of things, really. I mean, any RP is a group thing. It's not ever down to any one person for the entire process of the game. But as a DM, you kind of orchestrate the whole thing. You are pretty much the benevolent being. You kind of have the say a lot of the time on how the group proceeds, more or less. Well, right. Or not, maybe, I won't say proceeds, because that's more up to the group, but how the group, you influence on how the group actually acts more than most people would think. Well, certainly stylistically, um, I think mm-hmm. you do affect where the group goes in, in that sort of idea. Like, if you do a musketeer game, if your game is more uh, like Walt Disney, Charlie Sheen sort of era, it's very light. Or are you more Michael York, which was a lot more darker in certain areas? It's the same setting, but it's stylistically how it's different really came down to the GM. It's sort of how he puts it across. But yeah, certainly the direction of the game should be a lot more up to the players. Completely, completely. It's it's a role-playing game. It, at the crux of it, it's a player-based game. And especially if you can decide to go the more uh, role-playing side of the RPG aspect, opposed to the more gaming side of the role-playing game aspect, it definitely should be more player-focused in its actions. Now, from an RP point of view, I think that this is easier to sort of put into motion at the very start of the very first adventure you're going to do. You can do it at any time, but I think once you've got a group that's sort of in a certain flow and a certain style, it can be a a bit difficult for them to suddenly change how you sort of expect them to play, which is what's going to happen. If you're the GM and you want them to RP more, you can try to encourage them, but in a way, I think it's much easier to try to get all of that to happen from the very first adventure. Now, if it's a long-running campaign... Well, then you've just got to go with what you can do, right? And you're going to have to, if you want to change the way it's played, you're going to have to try to introduce it slowly. But that's why I think it's better if you can just sit down and say, okay, today we're going to play whatever. And you've made your characters and it's really cool and we've got lots of ideas. But right from that first session, don't play it like you've played the other ones. Because there's still a sort of new car smell in a way when you're starting a new campaign. And there's a little bit more openness to different ideas than something you've played for two years already. Yeah. And it also probably helped by making sure that your group's actually okay with this kind of new style of play. Because the more traditional style of playing, like role-playing games like D&D, is more dungeon crawl, min-max your characters, metagame a bunch, and kind of grow and build your thing from not so much a first-person, but a third-person point of view. and for a lot of people, changing that and being more first person in your actions and performance could be kind of intimidating. And I think 
a little nerve-wracking because all of a sudden you're kind of forced to perform. And not a lot of people are really cool with that. And some, you know, may prefer, again, the older style. Well, yeah, but there's also things like, I think the whole min-maxing thing. Um, I mean, D&D, from a point of view, has been a evolution. So, yeah, very early ones were literally just dungeon crawls and adventure, traps, monsters, get gold and experience and, you know, yeehaw, make hay while the sun shines. And there was nothing wrong with that. That was uh, some of my best no, like yeah. memories of playing were from those ones at school where just crazy stuff happened. But the min-maxing side, I think that that's a, that's a completely different issue because a lot of time people put that onto the players saying, you know, oh, you know, I don't like playing with this guy. He's a min-maxer. But that also is connected to your GM. I had one GM who was the epitome of the rules lawyer. And that meant that his games tended to be very deadly. Uh, there should always be risk. If a game doesn't have risk, it can take away tension. It can take away uh, that excitement of the dice bouncing across the table and the number that comes up. It doesn't become meaningless, but it does certainly lessen if there's no risk. But having said that, with, with him, surviving an adventure was very difficult. And when you went into that, knowing that he was going to GM and the way he GMed, like, down to the rule, like exactly down to the rule, you almost felt as a group that you had to min-max. And that definitely got in the way of the role-playing because no one was thinking about character and background or any of that stuff. We were only thinking how to squeeze the best possible character from a stat point of view out of this because we expected to die or always be in serious risk. So there's a lot of... Element. That's the thing. There's a, the unusual aspect of a role-playing game is the fact that there's multiple different influences on any one decision and any one thing that happens from the GM to the player. So it can't always be put on the player that min-maxes as being, you know, oh, yeah, he doesn't role-play because he's a min-maxer. Well, some GMs sort of make you feel that way. Yeah. yeah. The way I see it, the GM pretty much dictates just how the game is really played from... A simple thing is just like information telling from the GM telling you the information. For example, like you, um, the castle is a hundred years old. The GM telling you that aside from the GM, maybe telling another player that and having the, have that exhibition come from the player. It's a subtle thing. And it's when you talk about it, it's not a big thing, but in the actual aspects of the game, it's huge because you're giving voice to the characters, which I think is one of the best ways to actually promote role playing. Well, yeah, I think that, um, and, and these two things are connected. I think the first thing you need to do as a group, and this applies to everyone, I think all GM should encourage this, is to sit down and possibly do a character session. I mean, it, it's not always possible, uh, with people's lives and work and stuff, uh, to have everyone come together just to do characters. But if you can, I think making characters together is a good idea because in that process as well, the discussion should be, what does everybody want from the game? Because I think that's something that often gets overlooked. Players as well, right? Players, they're happy to get a game. So it's easy for, as a player, to sit back and go, oh my God, thank, you know, that we're going to have dude is going to GM for us. That's great. And so you sort of leave it up to him. And he doesn't always mind. So it's not necessarily saying this is a problem, but I think it's better if you can all come together and sit down as a group and say, okay, yeah, X is going to GM. 
And he can say, what kind of game do you guys sort of want? And have the players become involved in this? Because sometimes players don't always think this part through. And again, that's not necessarily bad. But if you start going, well, do you just want to do dungeon crawls? Do you just want to, you know, sort of do like Adventure League? Or do you want to try to have your backgrounds affect gameplay? And they might not have thought about that. And then suddenly goes, oh, so if I create a background and stuff going on, that could get incorporated into the game. And if it's a good GM, he'll say, yeah, we could we could try to work on that stuff. And then you might suddenly think about your character in a different way, in a different direction. And then that opens up a different discussion. And then through that, it's like, well, do you guys just want to stay more focused on the miniatures and the map? Or do you want to try to role play your characters? Do you want this to become more like a story and less like a miniature game or just less focused on the combat? So I think that that initial discussion is really important because that's where you can that's you kind of pretty much feel out what people actually want out of exactly. the game. Exactly. That's why it's vital. It's, yeah. It's the same thing where the players want a more role playing type game and the GM gives you more of a miniature type game and or vice versa. It's you're going to have to pretty much come to a consensus and understand what is involved in both styles of play. And if you're a GM who wants to create more role playing in your group but you find your group is completely resistant to that which yeah. they could right they might just love having a laugh and moving miniatures around on a hex thing killing yeah. stuff and that and if that's what they want to do that's cool but you could get frustration that you're going to add to yourself and stress which is going to come out in the game if you've decided no look i want to try to create a real story here i want to make it deep and meaningful but you've got five players that are like we just want to have a laugh yeah exactly but let's say now everyone does want to actually go about and start to roleplay more. How would you actually, as a, you know, as a new GM or a GM that's not used to roleplaying, what kind of tips would you give them to actually start to get everybody familiar with that and not just suddenly go, okay, 20 minutes motivational speech, go. It's how would you try and influence the group in a way that's, that's just not so harsh of a learning curve? It's more work for the GM. But oh, yeah, definitely. I always rewrite every single adventure I run. Now, this is why I can't do Adventures League. I am incapable of not rewriting stuff to begin with. That's my style. And you can't rewrite stuff with Adventures League. You've got to do it as is. And my arm is like possessed. I can try to stop it writing, but it will just keep writing, rewriting crap. But from that, you can rewrite the opening. And I think the opening is where you're going to set the scene. Like, literally, it is the opening of Act 1. So, usually when you get an adventure and you open up, it, it will give you the bare basics, and it's the important information. It is the important information for what the adventure is going to be about. You've arrived in Absalon from a long journey. You've come to the inn. You're waiting for work or whatever, or you've been offered work, or you had to meet someone. And sometimes that's going to be RP'd out, but sometimes it's sort of already done. And then it's like it's the following morning and you're ready for your journey. What do you do? Rewrite that. Rewrite all of it. Now, you can keep the essence of what it is because your actual adventure may still be what's described in that. But maybe write a page of arriving in the town. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What does the inn look like? When they go inside, what do the patrons look like? What is the just overall feel of that particular inn or tavern? And if you don't make it so just passing of information like a lot of adventures start with, make it more like the opening of a novel where the information is more storytelling. 
then they're already starting to click into that groove for when instead of saying you accept the job, you can have you can still say it in your exposition, like in your opening. You're here to meet a dwarf named X, and then you can have the tavern opens and this dwarf walks in, and you can explain how he looks. But don't do it in such a rote way. Which is the thing. A lot of the information when it's given in some of these adventures is very rote. It's very set. In a, it's, it's sort of just dry, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The information is very dry. And a yeah. character, whether he's an NPC or a player character, is meant to be a living entity within a story. The same as Dracula is in a story or Luke Skywalker or Gimli the Dwarf or whoever. There's a lot more to them than just a simple, he's a dwarf and he's wearing a leather jerkin and he's got a sword or whatever. Try to give them that little bit of extra feel and discussion. Uh, I think adding smell is an important thing. You don't have to focus on it in a massive way, but does he smell like horse? Because that tells you a little bit of information. He's probably been riding then or he's been around stables or, uh-huh. you know. So d- it's a lot about building atmosphere. Right, right, exactly. It's all about atmosphere because then when he talks, you can actually talk. And I think that once you've done this initial lead up, already leading into a more storytelling sort of feel, then when he actually walks up and instead of in third person saying, you know, I'm thing, are you taking the job sort of thing, or I tell them, yeah. I ask them, which is what a lot of time happens. A lot of time you'll get players and GMs will fall back on third person. I ask about that. What? Or they'll do a roll. I want to gather information. And they'll go, sure, roll a d20. And you go, okay, I got 16. Okay, this is what you found yeah. out. I still think that with that, make them roll. Because if they've got a skill that was connected to it, like streetwise or something, you shouldn't invalidate the skill. So you should still make them roll. But that roll... You could then incorporate it. Oh, actually, you rolled pretty good. So, okay, you can, you can transfer that several ways. You could say, okay, he was originally going to meet a street urchin, but you know what? He rolled 17. He bumps into a town guard who's more amicable to talking and then role play that out. You know, what do you want? And if you do it as a GM, they might initially, they might initially go in the third person, like, oh, I ask him for the information, but as a GM, you kind of have to. I feel you have to encourage them to just yep. get into character and talk. Totally. And don't always open with a direct question. Mm-hmm. What I mean is don't just go, who are you? Because then they can still sort of easily answer in third person. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the whole point of this is to try to get players to be more subconscious about the switch. You don't want it to be jarring. Exactly, right? And when it's pushed at them, even well-meaning, and even if they want it well-meaning, they're not going to resist you, but it, it can still be a bit of a... A hassle, especially if you've never right. done it before. It's it's right. hard to just go into this made-up character in your head and suddenly start talking. It's a lot of things, honestly, to keep track of. Accents, if you have your own speech pattern, all that kind of stuff. Right. And there is this big thing about feeling silly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Definitely. a lot of players, they say they feel silly with trying to do a character. And I see a lot of comments where people sort of invalidate that. And you know what? Don't. Because in a way, it's like public speaking. And there was a list of phobias a while ago done over 150,000 people and public speaking was in the top three. Oh, yeah. So while this isn't getting up in front of a crowd, now the spotlight is on you. Everyone's looking at you because the GM has specifically said to you something and they're looking for a response. That can be intimidating. So- 
I don't think you should invalidate that. But yeah, it's going to take time because of that. There's some people that that's a hurdle for them to get over. And even if they want to, there's that moment of tension and fear that can exist when someone says to them, I haven't seen you around these parts before. Who are you? And they're going to want to fall back onto third person. But I think that the first thing is try to add that extra. Don't just say, who are you? Try to go, I haven't seen you before in town. Who are you? What can I do for you? Try to push that little bit of extra because over time you want it to become more natural and subtle so that they respond to you without having to feel forced. You want a more natural response. Right. And at some point, they might not yet try an accent, Mm -hmm. but you might suddenly find that someone who always responded in third person will say, uh, hello, um, I'm Kanda, uh, from uh, across the sea. And then, yeah, he might be a bit stuttery and a bit thin because he's now trying to think instead of just going, I want to know information about. Yeah, but that's fine. Encourage it. Encourage it. That's exactly, especially with a new group that's unfamiliar and uncomfortable with role playing. Honestly, or the beginning is the most important. And try not to, if you're going to tease them, <laughs> try try to keep in mind, if it's your friends and you really know them and they screw yeah. up, it's okay. You can give them a bit of a ribbing. You're, you're all friends. If it's a new player for your group. You tone it down. You Even though, you know, everyone's meant to be friends, it'd probably be better not to. Exactly. Especially if you're trying to encourage role playing. Because if they screw something up while they're actually in first person, and especially if this is a new thing you've got them doing, you want to be encouraging, like you said. You want to encourage them to continue, not to highlight the things that they got wrong. A huge thing is confidence. Absolutely. Because you, if you hurt that confidence, especially early on... And especially as a DM. Yeah, you're, you're going to kill your, your goal. <laughs> you're going to kill it dead. So what other tips would you have? You, we already said um, more descriptive, more immersive uh, environments. What else would you say? We also touched upon... Um, Discussions saying instead of I ask them the question, you literally ask them the question. Right. And having them roll for that. Well, one thing I like to do as GM, uh, especially in fifth ed, because fifth ed, it's sort of group things together, streamline things, which is good in a way. Like I don't like overly complex games because the more complexity involved, the slower everything can become. But there's one thing with streamlining that can create an issue if you're trying to push role playing. And that is all your skills are based on an attribute, like in many games. But you can end up with having a bonus and a decent one in skills that in a way your character itself would not typically have. Now, what do I mean? Well, okay, Arcana, I'm pretty sure, is intelligence based. Now, Arcana is related to magic. So let's say I have a fighter who I have given a stat high enough to have plus three. He'll have a plus three bonus to any arcana roll. Now, what I like to do is I like to choose tasks for my players. And what I mean is I would like to sit down and I look at who I've got and I try to encourage certain players to be conduits for certain things, mm. right? I see I now, see what you mean. The arcana rolls, I will try to go to the mage. I will, as GM, instead of saying who wants to make an arcana roll, because if you do that, people Anyone want to be involved. Yeah. And they, it's not someone hogging the limelight, but you'll usually get everybody will go, Me. oh, we can, yeah. we can roll that. Yeah, exactly, right? They're not trying to hog the game or anything, but they just go, oh, actually. And I expect the fighter might go, well, hell, I got a plus three bonus in this. So- I don't do that. I don't try to put it open 
Unless there's a reason it could be open. Yeah. I will always try to go to the mage in the party for Arcana. Now, if the fighter says, I've got a plus three in it as well, I'll say, then he can assist mm-hmm. in your knowledge. And sometimes you can try to get them to talk to each other through that and then maybe make them roll with advantage. Mm-hmm. And if you really want, uh, depending on your group and that, I usually just get the mage to roll with advantage, so he rolls twice. But if you get him to roll with advantage, you can have one each of the roll and take the higher if you want. But try to get the mage to be that person, the ranger or druid for nature checks or things related to nature clerics or bards for history although you could depending on background a, a knight or or fighter can have history as well depending on your makeup but kind of categorize exactly from the skills into what you have for at your disposal of players cleric for religion and and so on you don't have to stay to it whole, hard and fast but what will happen is if you do that for a while even someone who has plus three in, let's say, religion, they'll leave it to the they'll leave it to the cleric for the religion checks. They'll leave it to the mage for the arcana checks, and suddenly your group all of a sudden has a purpose. They have, in a way, kind of like little objectives, little important things that they get to do specifically. And again, that adds. I think that adds just a huge level of purpose. Yeah, it, there you go. A huge level of purpose. So one thing you sort of mentioned earlier, like how do you, how do you also facilitate that information once they've made a role? Uh, because a lot of times the GMs go, okay, you know that this is to do with necromancy from the before time. And they either will not say anything because they will feel it's strange if they just go, okay, in the before time, there was necromancy and this is it. Because now they just feel they've parroted what you've literally just said. So what I like to do, and this is more prep, is to go through the adventure beforehand and find those key bits that are important information and write them out. Either write them out if you're going to be at the table or you, if you have access to your, your laptop and they all have electronic devices. Send them a text. Send them a text. Yeah. Now, as the player, how can you facilitate role-playing from the GM now giving you the information secretly rather than openly. Well, to start with, don't parrot it. Just it's gonna it's always easy just to open up that piece of paper that the GM gave you and go, okay, there was once a ring and it was this and he did this and he went there and then it was lost and now it's here. But in a way, the GM then sits there and goes, Why the hell did I just write all that out? He did exactly what was on the piece of paper. Which is true, but at the same time especially with a newer group, it still encourages them having the voice instead of the GM. So as a GM, I think even if that does happen, especially with um, groups that are newer, try not to take too much offense into it or encourage them the next time to word it differently. Yeah, just try to get them to put their spin on it. Their, Their character, each character should be unique in its own way. So try to, try to encourage them to do that, to be, to step out of that thing you know zone. yeah exactly yeah. sometimes instead of sentences i'll give it to them in point form mm, that's very good so they'll still get the information that's required but I, I sometimes find that's easier for them to even if they now give it to you as a sentence at least it's not just a, a, a direct copy of what you've had on the the piece of paper and the last tip i would suggest is um as a dm actually setting up situations to kind of promote and more or less kind of force your uh, players in the party to actually role play. Like, for example, you're, you have to travel across the desert and you have this caravan master and, you know, first night there's going to be a bandit attack. But instead of saying, okay, we're setting up for the night, 
what's everyone's position? What's everyone doing? Have the caravan master come up and be like, Oh, hello there, travelers. We have to stop for the night. I know you're new to, uh, the lovely sandy plains, but, um, what's going on? And trying to get people to, again, in first person, to tell the GM and tell you what's actually, what's their plan. Because that's just a, another way of getting to the roles of their character and just kind of trying to get away from all this third person narration as much as possible and just keeping everything in first person. To sum up kind of like all the kind of points, Ghost, how would you, uh, what do you think step one is? Definitely uh, talking to your players. Making sure that they all understand what kind of game they're going into. What's next? Uh, preparation. A- any change to the game, any smooth running of the game comes with, with just being prepared. And when you say preparation, I know you said before, but um, you would take like a, your uh, one of your adventures and totally rewrite that, eh? Yeah, I, I tend to rewrite everything completely, keeping the base idea, but I can I sometimes change a whole bunch. You don't need to change a whole bunch. That's just my particular style. But I think definitely um, looking at some of those situations and thinking, how can this be either better or how can it be better described or how can it just be conveyed in a more compelling way can lead towards both the RP experience, but also the moving from third person to first person. Yeah, and a big thing with that is first person narration. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that you can do in first person will will strengthen and encourage the idea in the players to do the same. So what would you say, well, I think one of the next points would also be um, immersive environments. When you give this information, and of course, when you're explaining environments to, especially at the beginning of an adventure, it usually has to be third person, but giving more immersive environments. And with those immersive environments, I think a really good uh, strategy was, uh, you said smell, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that I honestly, I didn't think of that. Smell is a huge thing because it's something that you can easily relate to and being able to relate to the environment or I guess relate to the world is more so what you kind of want to do. Yes, exactly. And being able to relate to certain things, you kind of want to, since it's hard to kind of, you know, relate to being a cleric or a druid or a fighter to relate to or something to put their mind on, like a role. And you had a good uh, point on roles. It can give, it give a player a good sense of purpose if they feel that there is something within the confines of the game that is uniquely theirs rather than not just casting a spell or thumping something with their sword but each person is an expert in something definitely and finally i think a great thing is to set up encounters instead of having instead of saying at night goblins attack set up the encounter just also as a disclaimer by role-playing your games your games probably will progress a lot slower (laughs) and that's just the that's just what happens when you talk everything out. Oh, yeah, definitely that a, a heavier RP game will take longer. But going back to it, setting up encounters to help promote RP and role-playing and give your characters a lot of opportunity to actually flesh themselves out. But I think most of all, it's to make sure that at the end of the day, you and your group have fun. Oh, yeah. That's what this game is all about. That's what all RPs are all about. Yeah, you're playing these to feel awesome, to to play this role and to do epic events and to be just massively cool while doing it. So anything that can help generate that feeling by the end of the night, I think, is a a good thing. And, you know, really strengthening that idea that either way people play is fine. But I do think that if you can get a more role-playing environment, 
and a more immersive environment that it will be a much more enjoyable experience by the end of it. Oh yeah, just pull out all the stops to aid in the aid in helping your players imagine things. Yeah, really, because yeah. at the end of the day, this world exists in our head. And when a big thing about role playing too, going on a little tangent here, is about trying to sound silly. The biggest fear about it, don't. You're playing a game with your friends, and you're playing about a world about slaying dragons, and it all exists in your head. Honestly, sounding silly is. Not not that uh, far-fetched. And everyone there is there for the same reason. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest things, too, really, is you're, relatively speaking, with friends. And when you're with friends, you should focus on having fun. I'm the Penguin. And I'm a ghost. Thank you for watching. Listening. We'll work on it. This podcast was done with Black Ops Penguin and Ghost. This has been a Crit Fail production.